We are studying, continuing our study in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. If you turn there with me. We finished our time as we worshiped in song with singing, with singing, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And as I was singing that, I was thinking, the disciples who were there with Christ in the final hours of his life, in John chapter 16, they, over the course of their life, would have passionately sang that same song. That, that, that song didn't come until many years later. Um, wasn't until um, somewhere in the late 1800s, early 1900s that that song was written. But it would have been a song that they could have sung. To look upon their Savior, they would have thought of him and thought, great is thy faithfulness. The promises that he gave to them, the way in which he ministered to them, the truths in which he spoke to them, the things that he said, these things will take place. This is what I have done for you. This is the way in which I will minister to you. They would have come to the end of their lives and just thought, great is thy faithfulness. We sang pardon for sin and peace that endureth. Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. The pardon for sin that we get and the fact that his own dear presence is what cheers us and guides us. He's talking, we're singing about the Holy Spirit. We're singing about the way in which the Holy Spirit is there for us, to cheer us and to guide us, to give strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. As Christians, we need strength for today. It's possible for us to, to be within churches in which the way in which Christianity is presented is that there are no problems. There are no difficulties that face us. We, we, we live in a time in which there's the health, wealth, prosperity teaching in which it's just naming and claiming and God wants everybody to be wealthy and everybody to be healthy and them to have all of these things which just goes totally against what God says in his word. But even within churches, evangelical churches, it's possible for, for people to leave and thinking, you know, God loves me, has a wonderful plan for my life, and it's just going to be peachy from this point onwards. And that's not what we find in Scripture. In fact, as we go through the passage before us this morning, you will find that Jesus is ministering to these disciples and ministering to his people, the church, saying, you will need strength for today. You will need to know that these things are going to happen, that you might have a bright hope for tomorrow. Now, granted for us, as we sang this, I thought, you know, he's, we sing blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. The number of blessings that come with being a believer, being forgiven of sin, having our guilt removed, being clothed with robes of righteousness, being able to be saved by faith and faith alone, to be able to have the Lord work in us and to mold us and to form us into his image and to, to, to 
take our minds and conform them to his minds and, and the, his mind and the way in which he just works so mightily in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is so faithful to do that for us. He blesses us with the church. He blesses us with people with all different kinds of gifts to minister one to another, to build each other up. He gives us assurance that he works all things together for good, his sovereignty. He makes it so that we know without a doubt that we will spend eternity with him. And it's not based upon how well we live or what we accomplish, but it's all based upon grace and what he's done for us. There's 10,000s beside as far as the blessings in which we, we get. And yet Jesus is ministering to the disciples saying, you are going to need a helper. Here are the things that are about ready to happen to you. These are things that will occur in your life. And, and I'm telling you these things now so you know. So you're not going to stumble. Let's read our text. We finished off last week in, in, at the end of, of chapter 15. So let's, let's read verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15, and then we'll read through verse 11 of chapter 16. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things... I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you'll see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, picture the scene. The upper room discourse has occurred. Jesus has been ministering to his disciples, telling them of what is in store for them, telling them that, that he's gone to prepare a place for them. We see that Judas is, has left, and he is there, and he's ministering to his disciples. And he's walking from Jerusalem, and he's heading out towards the garden to where he's going to be betrayed. And there are just hours left in the life of Christ. And so again, he goes back to what we've been looking at over the last several weeks of the Holy Spirit who's going to come. Looking to his disciples as they're there, and he tells us in the text here that, that they're in a place of having their hearts filled with sorrow. Sorrow has filled your heart. Um, sorrow has filled their heart to where they're hearing all of these things of him going and, and, and all that Jesus has been ministering to them as far as preparing them for the fact that he's going to 
be betrayed and he's going to the cross. And Jesus even says to them, none of you are even asking me where are you going. Like you're at a place of you're just, you're broken. You're coming undone. You're not even asking me where I'm going and sorrow has filled your heart. But let me tell you, I'm sending you a helper. Let me tell you that it's to your advantage that I go. What's taking place right now is a part of my sovereign plan. What's taking place right now is something that is absolutely to your advantage that this takes place. I'm in awe once again of just the fact that Christ is about ready to be crucified. He's about ready to take our sin upon himself as he goes to the cross. And yet, what a savior we have. They're just saying, your hearts are filled with sorrow. Let me minister to you right now. Let me care for you. Let me prepare you for all that is going to happen in your life and in the life of the church. Let me prepare you right now. This is better for you. It is better for you that this happens. And he's just there ministering to them as he's about to go to the cross. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He will be there to minister to you. He will teach you all things. He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to come to a place in a short while where there is just persecutions coming your way. And you start to just fall apart. I need you to know that I'm sovereign. I need you to know that these things were going to take place. I told you beforehand that these things were going to take place. I need you to know that I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, that I'll be with you always. I need you to know these things because there is a lot that is going to come against you. It is not a Christian life of health, wealth, and prosperity. You are going to go through incredible trials after I leave. And it happened. We know that Peter was imprisoned by Herod for the gospel. He's crucified upside down. John's going to be exiled to the island of Patmos. History tells us that Andrew is going to be crucified on an X-shaped cross. Philip He's going to leave for Ukraine. And he's going to be crucified on a tall cross in Turkey, modern day Turkey, according to church history. Bartholomew is going to be flayed alive in Armenia. Matthew is going to die a martyr after going to Persia and Macedonia and Syria and Parthia and Media and Ethiopia. Thomas is going to head off to India. He's going to be put to death by a spear. James, son of Alphaeus, is going to be beaten to death with a club. Thaddeus is going to go and 
get on a ship and sail off into the horizon and preach the gospel wherever it may take him till the Lord takes him home. Simon the Zealot is going to head off to Persia. We know these things are going to occur. We know that, that these disciples are going to go through just incredible trials coming up. And he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you now so that you do not stumble when you're there. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be your helper. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to give you strength for today. He's going to give you hope for tomorrow. He's going to be there, and we will be faithful to you. But these things are going to happen. You're going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be put out of the synagogues. For them in that culture in that time, it's one of the worst things that you can imagine happening to you. Their identity is a part of being in the synagogues. They go there for worship. They go there to hear God's word being proclaimed. It's not like everybody has a Bible to go and just turn to it and say, like, let's read from God's word. They go to the synagogue for that. For them to have a proper burial, they're going to be a part of the synagogue. And Jesus says, you're going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be persecuted. In fact, the time's coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. That's when it's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Disciples, they are going to want to kill you, and they're going to think in killing you that they're doing something that's noble, that's good. You need to know that this is about ready to occur, and, and, and we know that that took place. Even just looking in Scripture alone, you find it where where there's Saul, who is later becomes Paul. It's, and Saul talks about how he, in, in Acts chapter 22, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I received letters to, to the brethren, I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I went all over the place, brought them in chains to be punished. He goes on in Acts 26 to say, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I went, I went everywhere to persecute Christians. I thought I was doing God a service, but I was imprisoning them and having them being put to death. Saul saying, I was doing all of these things. This is what was taking place in the early church. This is what's taking place amongst those 3,000 who believed. They were being put to death. They were being imprisoned. As they went out, there was those that were going out after them to get them, to bring them back, to be thrown into jail or to be killed. We even find that with, with the apostle Paul. Saul becomes Paul as to, as after God regenerates him and brings him to salvation. We find that... Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians 11 goes on to say, I, 
and labors more abundant, stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeys often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in, in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. My deep concern for all the churches. He, he was about ready to go through incredible difficulties as well, persecution as well, beatings, imprisonment. Paul was going to go through all these things. Him, who was the persecutor, became the one that was persecuted. And what was the difference for him? Christ. What was the difference for him? His faith in Christ. His faith in Christ changed everything for him. Now he was the one that was being beaten. In the earliest part of church history, we find this occurring. Polycarp lived from 69 to about 155 AD. And he was put to death. We're told that he said on his death, 80 and 6 years I've served him, and he's done me no wrong. Which could indicate that he was somewhere around 86 years old when he died. And he says... How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And what do they do? They burned him at the stake. He's there saying, I'm not going to deny Christ. 86 years I've served him. He's done me no wrong. I'm not going to deny him. We're told that the soldiers grabbed Polycarp and he stopped them saying, leave me as I am. For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. And they burned him. Don't nail me to the, the stake. You don't need to nail me. God is able to grant me to endure the fire. Leave me as I am. I'll just stand there. And we're told that as he did, he prayed out loud and was consumed. Throughout all of church history, we find it over and over again. John Wycliffe lived from about 1320 to 1384. Someone who translated the Bible so that the common people could read it. And he was hated so much that he died of of natural causes. But what did they do? The Pope had him be brought up from the grave and had them burn his corpse. They exhumed it and burned him and threw him into the river. Even after his death, there was such hatred for him and what he was teaching and translating the Bible that it was, all right, let's pull him up, let's burn him now, and let's throw him into the river. Someone who learned from Wycliffe was John Huss. And John Huss was was one in whom just 
preached God's word, taught the same doctrines that Wycliffe had taught. And we're told that for him, he also was put to death. Put to death, killed, and as they put him to death, he said, I will, I will gladly die. God is my witness that the evidence against me is false. I have never thought nor preached except from the one intention of winning men, if possible, from their sins. Today, I will gladly die. And they lit him up, and he died. They began to sing, Christ, thou son of the living God, have mercy upon me. He died, and within 100 years, 90% of those people that lived in those Czech lands, where is now Czechoslovakia, followed the teachings of Hus and salvation that comes through faith in Christ. 90% of the land. Wars that occurred because of him, and yet 90% of those people followed Christ. It was going to happen. As I was preparing for the sermon, I, I started to read what Martin Luther had written on John 16. It's just radical to read someone like him when we read passages like, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And then thinking of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who goes against Rome, the Pope, the entire church, goes against the emperors, the, the entire kingdom, and says, this is what God says in his word. And to listen to him, he, I mean, he, what he wrote on John 16 is just this massive, this massive commentary on this area of, of Scripture. But watching him go through the process of hearing Jesus say this to the disciples and then saying things like, what business have I then to preach against them as a pupil preaching against his teachers? Then there comes rushing into my heart thoughts like these. Now I, I see that I am in error. Oh, if, if I had only never started this and never preached a word for who dares oppose the church of which we confess in the creed and believe in a holy Christian church, etc. Now I find this church in the, in the papacy too. It follows, therefore, that if I condemn this church, I am excommunicated, rejected, and damned by God and all the saints. What, what do I do? I'm going to be, I'm the one that's going to be excommunicated. I'm the one that's going to be going against the Pope. I'm the one that's going to be going against the church. I'm the one that's going to be forced out of all these things. What do I do? And you get to see him writing in this just, this battle that was taking place as he was going against the church, going against the religious leaders, going against those that were going to put him out of the church. He says, in the face of such excommunication, it is difficult to remain steadfast and to preach. But if we let this intimidate us, and if we do what they want us to do, retract and cease our preaching, when we know that it is true in God's word, then God's word would kindle in us a fire which would melt away and burn up our hearts. No man can endure this I would rather die 10 deaths than burden my conscience in such a way 
for this would soon kill me anyhow. I would rather die 10 deaths than to go against my conscience, than go against God's word, than go against what God has said in scripture, than go against the gospel. I would rather die 10 deaths than to do that. He he compares himself to Jeremiah. What was ministering to him as he writes in that commentary on John 16, he goes to Jeremiah, thinks of Jeremiah and what Jeremiah was going against as he preached to God's people. And he says in Jeremiah 20, this is what Luther quotes, O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and I have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. You hear Jeremiah like, I just decided I'm not saying anymore. And he's like, I couldn't. It just melted me. His word melted me. I could do no other. I proclaimed his word. I pray that that would happen to us. I pray that there would be such a love for the gospel. Such a love for the gospel. Such a love for the lost. Such a love for truth. Such a love for the fact that we are saved by a sovereign God who loves us and calls us unto himself. A God who saves us by faith and by faith alone. A God who who gives us his righteousness and takes all of our sins away so that we would be in a place of wanting to proclaim it wherever God would take us. Even with my kids, daily as I take them to school, we pray together and the prayer is, Lord, give the kids boldness in the gospel today. Give them boldness to proclaim the gospel today. Mom and Dad, we go to a Christian school. Why do you pray that every day? Because, you guys, they're not all Christians there. Have boldness in the gospel. Live out the gospel. Please him in the way that you live. And we pray every day, God, give them boldness in the gospel today because it's hard and yet I pray that for our church boldness in the gospel you look at at the apostle Paul Polycarp Wycliffe Huss Martin Luther and countless others who have gone before them and come since them who died for their faith who's lost everything for their faith who were put out of synagogues and were killed and those that killed them thought they were offering God a service it's interesting when I continue to read from Martin Luther he talks about how this that came upon him and was coming upon the church, it was just absolutely of the devil. Just of the devil. He says, such bitter hatred, such lust for murder, such bloodthirstiness 
cannot be natural or human. It must be completely devilish. The hatred, it cannot be satisfied or subdued. They cannot stop persecuting and murdering people who neither hurt nor intend to hurt either them or anyone else, but do good to all, serve and help the world. In addition, patiently endure violence and injustice and pray for their enemies. I mean, you think of Christians. They, they go, they go to the Middle East, they go to Africa, they go to Asia, they go wherever God calls them to be. And what are we called to do? He's just going through and saying they, they don't want to hurt anybody. They do good to everybody that comes their way. They serve and help people. They patiently endure violence. They pray for their enemies. He says, the great sin is this. First of all, we teach men to believe in Christ, that God will give us eternal life for his sake and not because of our own merits or holiness. And then we teach them to do good works to the glory of God and for the benefit of their neighbor and to be obedient and peaceful and charitable and patient and respectful. That's what we teach. As I was reading that, I was thinking of being in China and We were bringing Bibles in to China. Had them in my suitcases. And there was like four of us going into China. And, and I asked beforehand, like, should we like hide these better than what we're doing? You know? And they're like, no, we're good. Just put them in. They, we'll go right through. It'll be okay. And we're going through. I got off the plane. We're going through the x-ray machines and they stop us and they start opening up all of our suitcases. And there's Bibles everywhere. And I'm there. I'm like, I'm like the worst Bible smuggler ever. <laughs> like I'm not even trying to hide. It's just everywhere, you know. And, and I'm there and I, I can't understand what they're saying. Within seconds, there was like dozens of police officers all around me and all around my buddies. And there's all kinds of thoughts going through my mind. Like, like I'm going to be eating rice for a long time. Like, uh, like I, I, they could arrest me right now. Like, I have so many Bibles and children's material and all kinds of stuff. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And we just sat there, and they're all speaking Chinese, and I can't understand a word of it. And um, it was probably a good half hour that we stood there. And there was one lady that was in charge that spoke English. And she said, why do you bring all these Bibles? <laughs> and I said, because when we go places, we meet people and we want to give them gifts. And so we bring them to, to bring gifts. And she said, you cannot bring them in to China. And then I just thought, like, well, I'm caught. So from there I said, well, why do they... Why does your government not want Bibles going into China? I mean, all that it teaches is, and I just started to go through, man's fall and sin and what God has done to save people and what heaven is going to be like and, and what Christ has accomplished through the, the cross. And I, just, I preached the gospel to her for probably 15, 20 minutes. This is all that it says. And she listened to every part of it and said, you cannot 
You cannot bring Bibles in. You can only bring one Bible in. And I said to her, can I give it away? And she says, yes, but you can only bring one Bible in. And I said, if I bring one in, can I give it to you? And she said, no, I do not want your Bible. You go. And so we grabbed our Bible, we grabbed our clothes, and we walked out of the airport. She escorted us out by herself. And I was thanking the Lord, like, okay, I'm getting down, and I got my one Bible. I'm good. Hopefully those go someplace good. And you kind of feel like a failure, like, we, we were supposed to bring all these things into the church, and now we're, like, we couldn't. But we got out to the parking lot, and she came to me, and she said, can I please have that one Bible? Like, I promise you I will read it. Can I please have that one Bible? And I said, yeah, you can have my Bible. I gave it to her, and she ran to her car and put it in her car and ran back in the airport. But you look at that, and you think, that is the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That is the Holy Spirit working in the heart of this lady that was screaming and yelling moments before. She hears the gospel. God works radically in her heart. And he knew, as bad as Bible smugglers that we were, that he just wanted her to get a Bible. And she got one. And so when you look at what God's saying here, where he's saying, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And they're going to they're gonna do all kinds of things against you. But I'm telling you beforehand so you're not made to stumble. I'm sovereign over all these things. And to chapter 16, he just begins to start to go through like, these are the things that are going to happen to you. This will happen to you. And the reason why they're going to do these things is because they do not, or they have not known the Father nor me. The church is going to do these things to you. People within the synagogues are going to do these things to you. And the reason why is because they do not know the Father nor me. But these things I've told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. I've been with you, but now I'm telling you these things because I'm about ready to go away and I don't want you to stumble. I want you to be in the midst of being crucified upside down and have it go through your mind. He said this to us on the night that he was betrayed. He said this to us. He told us these things were going to happen. He is sovereign over it all. He told us that this was going to happen. Whether I was in Jerusalem or whether I was in Ukraine or Turkey or Ethiopia, or wherever it was that God took those disciples. He told us that these things were going to happen, and he tells us this morning that these things will happen. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage that I go away. These disciples had to have been like, how's that to our advantage? We love you. I just laid my head on your chest. I've seen you work miracles. You teach like nobody has ever taught before. We've watched you Feed the multitudes. We've watched you heal the blind. We've gone with you everywhere that you've gone. We love being with you. And he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. 
it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. It may be possible for us at this time in church history to be like, it had to be easier for them. I mean, they had, they had Christ living with them. They woke up with him. They journeyed with him. They walked with him. But Christ would tell us, no, it's to your advantage, it's to my advantage, it's to our advantage that he went away. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us always. The Holy Spirit is ministering to our hearts. The Holy Spirit opens his word to us. The Holy Spirit recorded exactly word for word what it was that God desired to reveal to mankind in perfection. The Holy Spirit takes the eyes that are blind and makes them able to see and ears that are deaf and makes us able to hear. He makes it so that we have hearts that were once hard and he makes them soft. Radically regenerates us, changes us, makes us new creations in him. The Holy Spirit gifts people around us and says, this is the church and you are to edify one another with the gifts in which I've gifted you. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say so that we can proclaim the gospel. He gives us those words to say. As we're saying those words, he's working in the hearts of those that are hearing the word. I think of what took place in Acts where shortly after Christ. Ascension. Peter's proclaiming the gospel, and it tells us that the people were cut to the heart. They respond, saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And that's what happened. He saved 3,000 people that day. It's the Holy Spirit that did that. He used Peter in the proclamation of the gospel, but it was the Holy Spirit that saved them, brought them to salvation, and he radically changed them. Unbelievers that were sitting there listening to Peter, and now they're gladly receiving the word, they're baptized. They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They're breaking bread together. They're praying together. They're selling their possessions and dividing them amongst each other as anyone had need. They continued daily together in God's word and breaking the bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. He was working radically in the church. And it was to their advantage that Christ went away. That's what was being accomplished. You look at the church today, it's across the entire globe. How does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of these people through his word that is being proclaimed, regenerating people as the gospel goes forward. And you're here this morning as a result of it. You never would have come to him. You would have run in the direction opposite of him if it wasn't for the fact that it was the Holy Spirit who worked in your heart. It was the Holy Spirit who made you alive. It's to your advantage. Then, from there, he says, um, 
And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of of this world is judged. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Did he convict you of sin? Yes, he did. You thought at one point that you were okay. You thought at one point that you had no need of a savior. And yet, the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. And he may be doing that to you this morning. He may be showing you this morning that you're in desperate need of a savior. And today is the day in which you call upon him and are saved. Today is the day in which you believe in Christ for salvation. You believe that Christ took your sins upon himself and he gave you his righteousness. Today may be that day. I pray that it is. Holy Spirit is here in our midst and he has worked in countless people here in this church already, saving them. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit shows us what is righteousness and shows us how it is to please him, but more importantly, shows us that Christ fulfilled all righteousness and he places it upon our account. It's the Holy Spirit that does that, that frees us from this performance treadmill of trying to just do all these things to please him and say, you know, you're clothed with robes of righteousness. And it's the Holy Spirit judgment because the rule of this world is judged. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to see that Satan is real and that he is judged and what it is that honors God and what it is that doesn't honor him and enables us to be able to be in a place that we're able to see that we are those that have a Savior who have been saved from our own flesh and the world and Satan and God works mightily on behalf of each and every one of us. And there Christ is ministering to disciples in the very last hours of his life and ministering to us this morning. May we not be made to stumble. May we have boldness in the gospel. May we go wherever God calls us to go for the sake of the kingdom and obedience to his word and find such joy in ministering the gospel, whatever might come upon us. And just as the disciples at the end of their lives would have sang, great is thy faithfulness, May we sing it just absolutely passionate as God's people here this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the joy of being able to know our Savior who does not ever change. Who loves us, who cares for us, who ministers to us. Who gives us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit that we could be equipped and comforted and encouraged that we might be given boldness and assurance sealed until the day of redemption. Words to speak when we don't know what to say. The preciousness of your Holy Spirit, it is so good that you sent him to us. We praise you for that. We pray, Lord, on on this morning that if there's anybody that's here this morning that 
that's still dead in their sins and trespasses, who does not have faith in you. May they hear the words of you, Lord, this morning. The way in which you minister to those disciples and may may today be the day in which you convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We're thankful that you tell us whosoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. May we leave this place having made our calling and our election sure. I pray that as your people, you administer to our hearts this morning to sing with just hearts of praise to you. May you be adored in the sanctuary this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.